Hey, it's Jeff and Jeremy from the Ultra Running Guys. And if you're here, you probably already know that we started this podcast to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. But what you may not know is that in addition to this podcast, we also host two live races in the Wilmington, North Carolina area that are designed to do the same. Yep. The first is the Hydra, which takes place on April 20th and has a 50K individual, a 50K relay, and a half marathon option. Whatever option you choose, we promise that slaying the Hydra will be unlike any race that you've ever experienced. And the second is the final countdown, which takes place on September 14th. And whether you've never run before or you're a hardcore ultra veteran, this race is designed to help you find your limits. And we will be there with you to help celebrate. All right, so mark your calendars, share with your friends, and visit us at our website, theultrarunningguys.com. Or check out the links in the show notes for more info. And with that, enjoy the episode. And remember, when in doubt, just show up. And welcome back to the Ultra Running Guys. You got Jeremy Reynolds and Jeff Winchester of the Ultra Running Guys. And the reason that we're here is to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. But part of figuring out that next step is what in the heck do you sign up for? And so we decided that we're going to start doing these race spotlight series. They've been an absolute blast. And we figured who better to learn about a race than the race directors themselves. So Jeff, tell us what we are getting into tonight. So tonight we are going to be talking about one heck of a monster of a race. Um, And I'm excited to talk about it. And so I'm going to practice this name at least one time and try not to mess it up too bad. But we're going to be talking about the Mogollon monster, the Mogollon monster, the Mogollon monster, the Mogollon monster, (laughs) whatever you'd like to call it. Our guest tonight will help us pronounce that correctly. I'm excited. I'm hoping for. Anyway, the Mogollon monster 100 is located in Eastern Arizona along the Mogollon rim. The race climbs the rim on six separate locations, spending a lot of miles along the rim, on top of the rim, going up and down the rim with descents and climbs that can go anywhere between 35 to 40% grade. Elevation gain for the race is about 18,000 feet with the entirety of the race hanging out between 5,200 and up to 8,000 feet of elevation the entire time. So it's a little bit of altitude for you to hang out with um, as you go through it. The course is considered to be rugged and very technical. So you ready? Yep. I'm ready too. Let's talk to the race director tonight, Mr. Noah Doherty. Nice to meet you, Noah. Welcome to the show, man. Appreciate it. Well, look, we're super, we're super excited. Uh, This race has come up actually a few times in our discussions, but one specific time we had Ashley Durston, who was a podium for you guys in 2022. And so we got to learn a little bit about it. Um, I've got big ties to Arizona. And so seeing some of the footage was super cool. But let's start with the basics, man. We got some questions. We're going to ask that if people are listening, watching, and they want to know this, want to do this race, we're going to give them the info. First question, most important, what the heck is a Mogollon monster? a good place to start yeah they um you know it's the sasquatch of arizona it's the bigfoot the the ominous creature that you hear inevitably in the dark forest in the middle of a hundred miler at night that's that's the mogion monster so it kind of lives in the up on the rim and it's surely been seen a dozen or more times right (laughs) you know it's funny because we even talked about with ashley and it wasn't until today to be honest so we heard you know, Mogollon monster. I figured Mogollon, it's a term around there. Monster, it's a good name for a hundred mile race. I didn't realize that there was actually a creature associated with this thing that the race was named after. Yeah. Which, which is pretty cool. Well, it was like so, a combo, right? It was like the Mogollon monster and 
the race was dubbed to be a monstrous race is kind of how it came about. So it was like, oh, this kind of fits perfectly, you know? Yeah. Well, I personally have hallucinated many times in a race, <clears throat> particularly in a hundred miler. And so I can imagine you see all kinds of things. Well, and, and we're going to talk about it because one of the things, and we talked about this, um, you know, so I'll say this, this is part, this race is part of the Air Viper family. We had Jamil on talking about Cocodona. And when we talk about Cocodona, just all the different parts of Arizona, because I think a lot of times people think Arizona, kind of some of the low, hot desert, right? But the, there's definitely a whole lot more. And this race, I think, really spotlights. So when we talk about a Bigfoot, you're like, how is Bigfoot in the desert? Well, he's not, right? So I think we're going to get into some of the great things about this. Um, but before we do that, let's ask this, man. What is your favorite thing about this race? Uh, I think most of the time, a lot of people finish this race and they cross the finish line with that look like, what the hell did you just put <laughs> Like this is insane. And that was the hardest thing I've ever done. And that actually with, uh, they had some a video that came out about, it. you might've seen it. it's called the hardest thing. We put it on our website, but cause I think that's like such a special thing for people to experience where it's like, yeah. never thought I could do something this hard. I just accomplish it. And for me, it's like, Hey, now you have a new hardest thing. Like you never thought you could do something. And now you just accomplish something harder. Now you've just leveled up and now you have a harder thing, you know? So I love when people cross the finish line and they look at you like you son of a... <laughs> and like, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. I, that's probably like my favorite thing is to stand at the finish line and see that all come, you know, like, you know what it's like when you cross the finish mm -hmm. line and you just, it all kind of like you drop it. Cause you can like put down the front and you're like, okay, I did it. I'm done. You know? So that's pretty cool. So let's kind of go back just a little bit. Um, you touched on something that we talked about before the show <clears throat> is that, you know, we were talking about the race and being in Arizona and I'm not from the area. And so my immediate impression is it's like desert. It's like wasteland. It's, you know, a lot of rock and it's not right. a lot of anything other than rock. Um, but how do you describe what this area really is like? Um, the area is so diverse is what we really love about it, where you when you're at, you know, below the rim, there's the Highline Trail. It's a national recreation trail. It spans about now it's like almost 60 miles, it's like 58 miles. And it has like a mix of red rock and manzanita. And you're just have this huge, they call it an escarpment, essentially the Mogollon Rim, because it's so steep. And um, so you have all this below and it's still kind of hot down there. And there's cat claw and like super rocky. And then you go to the top. And I think this is where my brother and I fell in love because it was, we did this big loop. There's a couple really good loops called the cabin loop. And um, it's like nothing like I've ever seen in Arizona. So you're running through tall ponderosas and then you're going through fern forests that are up to your chest. And you're like, where in God's name are we? This is insane. Look, creeks everywhere and big canyons, climbs and ups and downs. And we were like, this is incredible. So I think that's what makes the Mogan Rim special is it combines all of that in like such a short span that's it's just unique you don't see that a lot out west it's a little more common i feel like because elevations are you know they rise pretty quick but w coming from vermont it was like you can't have such diverse areas in such a small span you know that's cool yeah and i'll say to anybody that's listening or watching you guys have a video i believe it's both on your website it's also for sure on the ultra sign up go mm -hmm. look at that and when you see the Ponderosa Pines, so uh, family in Prescott, and so I just kind of grew up going to the Ponderosas out there. It's about 5,000 feet. And it, like I said, it's so different. It's so pretty. And that video really displays the different types of terrain. So, you know, if you're having a hard time picture it, go watch some of that stuff. And I think you're going to be, you know, pretty surprised about what Arizona has to offer. Um, so, all right. 
The race has been around quite a bit though, or for quite a while. Give us a quick kind of rundown on the history, how long it's been around and how you guys got to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. Um, first year was 2012. My brother, like I said, we had gone up on the rim a couple of times and he was definitely the driving force and the guy that made it all happen in the first year. Uh, he worked with this guy, Jeff Jones, who was a local Arizona guy and he knew the rim really well. So he helped Jeremy kind of connect like, here's a great trail up the rim, but the only way to connect that is to go on this forest road and stuff like that. So that was 2012. Jeremy and I ran it together with our families as we were like having infants and small toddlers it got like pretty crazy and we would we worked in hotels at the time and um we would just recruit like the front desk agents and our bellmen and valets to come out val to come volunteer all weekend but um so we had it till 2015 or 20 and then after 2015 um we basically were like we're we got to stop this like it's too crazy like between the three of us we had or between us two we had five kids under five it was like full-time job. He was getting, like moving up in the hotel industry anyway. And Jamil who owns Aravipa had run the inaugural with us and won it. Um, and he's like, well, you can't kill this race. It's like, are you kidding me? Like it's like the only like, iconic hundred miler in Arizona at the time, you know, like mountain hundred miler. And, um, so he's like, I'll take it over whatever you guys need. We'll work on it. And you guys can step in with us and whatever. And that was, I think 2016. And then, um, you know, we've had many iterations of the course, just there's flooding and washouts and forest fires. And then, um, so that was originally a 106 mile course. Then it was a hundred mile course when Jamil took it over. And then that from 2016 to 2021, I think we had probably, probably like four out of the five years was a different course, like some sort of reroute we had to do because of whatever. And then in 2021, 22, maybe 2022, we switched to a point to point that was initially developed mostly by James Monet is another local runner. And he's got a pretty rich history in Arizona, their family, but, um, he found it to like 80 something and 90. And then we got it up and connected a couple more rim climbs and got it all the way to town. Cause we have the race. It finishes in this little town of pine, Arizona. Um, and we haven't finished like at the community center in town. So that's kind of how it all now. So now it's a point to point, I guess, is to answer your long, long winded question there. But, um, and it starts, you know, hundred miles East. It's incredible that it's point to point. Yeah. I don't think I picked that up on that. I mean, I saw the course like layout and everything and I saw the point to point, but I did not like register. It's a point to point hundred miler, which is incredible. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, there's two, two big things I got from that, you know, Jamil won the first year and your brother has an awesome name. I also picked up on those two things as well, Definitely. but it's Jeff <laughs> negative. All right. Um, all right, man. So let's get into some, uh, you know, we've been talking about what we like, kind of the history. Let's get into some of the tactical stuff. And I guess this isn't necessarily a tactical question, but what is it about mug or muggy on muggy on? I'm going to do that all night. What is it about that you think that keeps people coming back? Because one thing I will say is when I watch that video, it really looks like a tight community and it looks like the people around there, like that's something they really look forward to. Yeah, I think um, I think the challenge is, you know, there's certain hundred milers that 
I know it sounds probably absurd to people that don't run ultras and run hundreds, but it's like, I think there's certain hundred milers where you go it, you go run it. And it's like, I know I'm going to finish it. So I'm running it at, at a pace that I'm looking for a time, you know, where I think this race, the monster, you come to the start line with those jitters. Like, I don't know what's going to happen out here. And I'm really interested to find out how this goes today. You know, I think that's why people come back and we just actually had our first, um, five-time finisher, not, uh-huh. 2023 with 2022 and um he had run every he ran the 106 miler he had run two different 100 milers and then he ran the point to point twice it was like so fred roberts is uh kind of a legend in the monster world but i think it's that it's it's a nice like it's arizona and it gives people an opportunity to run on some really cool trails that are you know you go on the arizona trail you're on the national you know zane gray's highline trail and I think that the beauty of it helps bring people back. But I think the toughness is, I'd like to think is what it is. I don't, you know, it's hard to say officially what people are attracted to, especially from out of the state, you know, but. Well, the beauty is one, again, just, just watching and seeing the views as you come over the rim. Um, But all right. So you just said, Hey, this is, this is a tough one and people know it. And so, you know, maybe this isn't the right question to ask, right. But it's one that we like to, on behalf of the listeners that are coming what do you think is something that people underestimate about this course? This is what's so interesting about this course is when you read the specs on it and like the tactical info, like you mentioned, it's like there's less than 20,000 feet of climbing. There's never like super high elevation. There's no climbs of 4,000 feet consecutively. There's no descents that are insane. It's like these constant, ups and downs. And what happens a lot of times I'll talk to people throughout the summer. We'll we do training runs throughout the summer and people it's close enough for locals. They'll go up on the rim and train for the summer or train for a weekend. Cause it's not 110. And, um, they'll be like, Oh, I ran this section of blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we climbed the Myrtle trail and looped back around is 23 miles. It's actually easier than I was expecting. I was like, I get it. Like on 23 miles is not bad. Now stack that on another 23 miles. That's more technical with the same amount of climbing and the sun's pounding down and then stack that again and again. And I think that's like what gets people. I don't, the, cause it's not like it's very hot really. It can, you know, hot for us in late September on the rim is, I don't know, eighties, you know, it's like on paper, nothing sticks out. The technical terrain I think is what, people underestimate coming from out of state. They're like, I knew it was going to be technical. I didn't realize you meant like boulder fields going through here. You know, I think maybe that's it. And then there are some steep ascents and descents and stuff, but I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't seem like I've run other courses and stuff and it's not like, Oh, we don't have, you know, the trail from hell or whatever that cascade has. And, but it's all kind of just, it all kind of like ties together and then it just makes it just, a beast. It's just hard. One of the things we were looking at in the same category, I guess, topic um, yeah. was of things that could kind of catch people off guard was the fact that because you are at elevation of, of 5,000 to 8,000, you're going up and down these climbs that um, even though it may be, you know, 80 degrees at some points during the day, that when you're climbing to this, you know, 8,000 feet um, in elevation, then I imagine the temp- temperature variation can really fluctuate. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. You know, and I do say like, we're not super high in elevation where some of these other Colorado or the Ute or whatever. Um, but 8,000 feet is nothing to scoff at if you're coming from Virginia or South Carolina or something, right? Like it, and it, 
you drink, you need to drink a lot more water. And if it's eighties and you've been used to sixties, it's different. So, um, but the variation can definitely be different where it'll be down in the low forties, or if it's a cold year, we've seen 2022, we saw hailstorms that was like full white on top of the rim that people were bundled up and crazy lightning storms. And so, yeah, it can vary from beautiful and sunny to that. And that was a pretty cool scene to see yeah. the snow on race day. Because my, my mind tells me it's going to be 150 degrees <laughs> yeah. like on the surface of the sun in Arizona in September. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> my daughter was in Phoenix for a while, and, and that's all I heard was how hot it was all the time in Arizona. I was like, ah, that sounds blistering. And then we read this. I was like, yeah, I could freeze to death. Yeah, I think you get <laughs> caught high at night, you know, especially when you're worn out. And I mean, and we saw some of the things with Cocodona, right? Parts of that. I mean, it's parts of those different races. It's like... You're scared of the heat, but it may be the cold that gets you if you're not prepared for mm -hmm. it. So I think it's just a good thing for people to pay attention to and read. And you guys call that out very well, like on the ultra sign up page in the description. It's like, hey, pay attention to this. <laughs> um, yeah, we learned over the years, like some sticking points, right? Like try to like, hey, we warned you here. We tried, you know? <laughs> right. So, so in that, so you've obviously had the opportunity. You've seen runners. You've seen where their struggles are. You've seen kind of, you know, probably where... Um, risk isn't the right word um I, I guess just the areas where they may kind of stumble a little bit what do you think if somebody's listening they're interested what should somebody be doing to help prepare themselves to avoid a dnf at the monster um i think a lot of this i i know i was thinking about this question because i i saw this as one of the things and i think there's a it's a big mental battle at this race because it's just it's kind of unrelenting in a way, you know? And I think some people are like, screw this. This sucks. Like, I don't want to do this for another 60 miles. Like, what is this stuff? You know? And then other people are like, okay, I'm, I need to get through this. I want to work through this. And that, so, cause a lot of people come in they're super fit and then they don't make it past, you know, fish hatchery just over, you know, 36 miles or whatever. And I, I think those, the first 44 miles, I think it is, is definitely difficult. You climb the rim four of the six times in that stretch and it's, you know, daytime. So it gets hot. Um, and there's some pretty steep descents and climbs myrtles, super exposed. So I, I think, um, I kind of think it's like a mental thing as much as anything, as much as like, no matter how strong you really have to be prepared to kind of go through it. And, and early on, you know, and it's like that whole, the ultra adage, what it's like, doesn't always get worse. You know, like just because you feel like crap right now at mile 22 doesn't mean at mile 44, it's going to be exponentially bad. So I think like working through that and not giving up early on, because there are some really great sections. Once you get to that middle, like hundred K range where you can, if you're feeling okay, you can cruise and you'll be, you can make up a lot of time potentially, you know? So <clears throat> is that where you see most of your drops in the first half of the race then? I, we see a fair amount. Yeah. We, so Buck Springs is probably where we get the most drops, I would say, which is on top of the fourth climb. Mm -hmm. Um, and you have to be there by, I think like nine, nine PM or so. So it's now dark. A lot of people get there really tired. Um, they've climbed, you know, almost 9,000 feet at that time in the first 44, and I think they're like, man, I got to go through the dark now. And, you know, um, but that stretch for sure, um, fish hatchery right before the fourth climb to Myrtle and then Buck Springs. And then 
you know, for a while there was a stretch, you know, this is a different course, but we would get runners to say like 78 or so. And if you made it that far, you were like 90 something percent chance you're going to finish. It was like, if you just make it to, you know, mm. more than three quarters, statistically speaking, people would finish. It was kind of an interesting thing where it's like still a lot of still two climbs ago. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting, mm-hmm. interesting thing, uh, how it works and how the race stacks up. And I don't know. I feel like I'm speaking and, and scaring everybody that would think running this uh, race. No, 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 no. Actually, this part of the conversation is one of the things <clears throat> that we've had in some of the other discussions we've had um, when we spotlighted other races. And I have found that hearing from the race director, the area that is the highest risk or highest area of drop really helps inform runners of, of how to mentally get their game together that they should know it's going to be tough. And the race director is telling you, if you get through this, you may prove it's still going to be challenging. I mean, it's still hundred miles, right? You still have another 60 something to go, but yeah. this is going to be where you're going to question your sanity and whether or not you think you should move on. And, and that's really good for people to hear because it's not like they're going to go into it completely surprised. Now, if you look at a website and you see the different descriptions, you don't say, he see a race director saying, Hey, let me put a little arrow on the top of this particular aid station and tells you when you get to this climb, you're going to want to like shoot me, but instead you get to hear it here. And so don't, don't second guess what you're saying, because that's exactly what runners want to hear. Um, and they get right. a better understanding of, of what to expect. And so I think it's great information. I think it's very valuable for them to hear. Cool. Yeah. yeah I think- I- Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, you know, and I think too, there's, and that's why we do this, try to highlight different races because there are going to be different people that are attracted to the different types of challenges, right? Some want to know exactly what they're getting into and and they kind of want to be tactical about it and really plan. And some want that feeling that you talked about before of like, whew, all right, I know this is going to be a tough day. I'm kind of nervous about it. You know, this isn't a sure thing. And I think that's really the, where people are, you know, that this is the kind of race that's going to attract those people. Mm-hmm. And that's very exciting for people. However, the two things that I really got from that is one, probably temper expectations, right? Because if most people are saying, you said it's gonna be hard or you said it'd be technical, but I didn't know it was gonna be quite this. So, okay, just be open to kind of what you get. And you guys actually had something in the video that said- uh, Take what the mountain gives you. Take what the mountain gives you, right? And, and I thought that we talked about that. It's such a good line because it's like, you can't control that. So, hey, just whatever's coming at, coming at you, do it. But then <clears throat> two, I fully agree a lot of times we're just projecting, oh my gosh, I can't believe X more hours and miles of this. But if I know that really my chances get way better after 40 something miles and they get exponentially better after 70 some miles, that gives me, you know, here. Yeah. We call that hope. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's great information. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is cool. And I, and I, like you said, like just because you make it through 46 or 48 doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Of course. Right. But there is definitely a, a stacked front end of that race, which I guess you'd rather probably stacked on the front end and the back end, right? I mean, when de- you're de- fresh, at least. Depends on your expectations, right? That's <laughs> you know, I love to that's- bank time because that is always <laughs> for success. That's true. Yeah, there is different. Uh... <laughs> it never bodes my success. <clears throat> yeah. So um, let's say I want to sign up. How do I get registered? What is there qualifiers? Tell me about that. Yeah, we're open. Uh, we, we've been kind of coordinating our opening with the hard rock Western lotteries. Um, so it's like first weekend of December, we usually open the race is typically held the second weekend of September, uh, which it is again this year, I think with the leap year, it's like the seventh and eighth. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, you can register right now. We use ultra sign up as the platform. You can register there. Um, 
yeah, we have, you know, I think uh, 300 spaces we're able to get now. I think it's kind of gone up a little bit over the last couple of years, but that we also have a 42K, which is a marathon that we do on Sunday that runs the same loop as um, you kind of join in and run the last 20 miles with the 100 milers, which is pretty cool. So on Sunday, when they're all beat up, they're seeing some fresh faces out there. That's awesome. I actually read that and I was like, okay. Would it be like, oh, like this is great new energy or would it be like, oh my gosh, this guy looks so spunky running pat right. on your left, right? Like <laughs> You just take your bib and you tack it to their back. <laughs> that's, that's really cool though that you guys do that. Um, and it did look like that you have a 50 mile qualifier uh, to be able to register. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, we go back and forth on this. It was, I think, even higher. I think it might have been a hundred miler at one time, but it's really just time on feet that we want. You know, I think it's hard because you get people that get excited about it and they're like, oh, I just ran my best, you know, whatever, 50K in four and a half hours. And it's like, that's awesome. But we need you to be on your feet. Like, I need you to know what it's like to get so hungry and tired that you have to do something about it. You can't just like, oh, yeah, I finished at the car and now I can replenish. So it's more like a time on feet thing. A lot of people say, I don't have a 50 miler, but I've done such and such of, you know, long distance. And it's like, okay, that's definitely going to work, you know? So, but there is technically, yes, we do a 50 mile minimum 50 mile. So, so if they have questions about their qualifier, they can just reach out to y'all and ask you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Right. So kind of another technical question, uh, talk to our audience, aid stations, crewing what are what are those types of things that they should be considering when they're coming to the monster yeah that's a good question we've um with the point-to-point -point course so other interesting thing is like top of the rim is coconino national forest and kind of more western and then the very eastern top of the rim is apache sick greaves and then the whole bottom of the rim is tonto so we're kind of like Tonto at the bottom, Coconino on the top. And um, most of the bottom of the rim is dead end roads because it ends at the rim. And so there's no crewing on the bottom of the rim at all. Like, so everybody, basically it's like 10 miles, aid station, 10 miles, aid station, 10 miles, aid station. That kind of varies from there. But we set it up on the top where um, there's a couple, we actually have crew only zones where there's no aid station. We've added like a water stop at the first one because we don't want other runners to at least not be able to stay, you know, replenish, but it's cool. It's just a long stretch. It's like a three mile stretch on the rim. There's incredible views for the crews to hang out and wait for the runner. And we, we really encourage kind of like that community crew where people will bring ice pops and offer them to runners running by and feed them water and everything. And it's kind of just, we allow it and we have staff and medical teams kind of going up and down making sure everybody's good there. And um, so that's at like say 24 miles in and then, they have another one at 40 something and then 60 something is another crew only. So it, it's like every 20, 30 miles and they can just drive along the rim from the East to the West. And then eventually they get to the final one, Dickerson flat, which is at 80 something miles. Um, another like range where we allow them to just pull off on the side of these roads. Cause there's no trailheads really. It's all just, Oh, here's a pull off where we can fit two cars or here's a, a spot for a dispersed camping or here's a viewpoint looking at the rim. So we just let people like, just don't block the roadway, stay out of the road, make sure there's zero issues. If emergency vehicles have to get through and just crew your runners. And we literally will say in the runner guide and on the website and everything, the runner, the race briefing, 
Like, hey, if you see somebody running by themselves, offer them something, make sure they're okay. Make sure everybody's having a good time out here. And um, so it, it works out well, I guess. It's like a stepping stone across the rim with your runner and then you just drop off the rim and you get to the finish. So it's pretty cool that way. Fantastic. And then in terms of if somebody is just kind of, um, you know, self-sustaining, they're out there by themselves, they don't have a crew. What should they expect in terms of what's kind of the average distance between, I'm assuming there's aid stations kind of in between some of that. What's the average and then what's the longest they may go without aid? I think our longest is 10.9. We try not to go much longer than that. We find it's just, it's difficult unless you have to, you know, but, um, there's a like three in a row, it's 10 miles or more and you're, you're working for it. So, and then after that, it's like, you know, eight. So probably the average is around eight, I would guess eight, okay. nine. Um, what was the other part of that? that I mean, that was really it, right? If somebody's going to go out there by themselves, just kind of get an idea for how should they pack, how much stuff they need. Cause some races, you know, even with a hundred, right. You're seeing every four or five miles, depending six miles, but some, yeah. as we've seen with some of the longer, it could be 20, 25, right? So it sounds like eight to 10 is really what somebody should be planning for. Yeah. And I, I would say on top of that, um, thinking about the crews, now that you mentioned that with the distances um, is one, we have drop bags, obviously. So people that aren't crewing have opportunities for multiple drop bag locations that we've found to be pretty good mix in there. But the other thing is on, there's very little cell service anywhere up there still. Mm, good enough very difficult. Um, and the highest point is actually at the tip of the rim. So the rim like comes up and then at the farther away from the rim, you go on the top and it actually goes down in elevation a little bit. So the best cell service is right on rim road. And there's a road that goes the entire length of the rim, um, forest road 300. And that's where we kind of encourage crews to just hang out there. Cause then if something happens to their runner, they can get a hold of them or they can like the runner can get a hold of the crew because we run into issues with that where they're waiting at a crew zone, there's no service. And then they're like, Oh, my runner dropped. And which is a good segue for Starlink. I have to say has been like an unbelievable addition to our races. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so I, that was something I wanted to mention. If we're talking about crews and stuff, that's really important is to know you might be in a total dead zone, just waiting for your runner blindly, you know, and we try to communicate that with DNF boards and stuff like that, but it's possible you'd be waiting for, a dropped runner. That's great info. Yeah, that's about to use the exact same phrase. Like that's really good info. I think that's something that a lot of um I know you put that kind of information in a runner's guide. You know, oftentimes you'll see races say make sure you download the GPS and everything so you'll have it. You'll know how to get from one aid station to the next and all that. But there's becoming more and more a trend that runners are texting or trying to communicate with their crew before they get there, telling them the things that they're going to need. And to, to know that that may not be an option is just important for them to be aware of. And it's not a bad thing. It's just something that they can plan yeah. around that keeps it where it is. But um, so I think yeah. it's great that you brought that up. Um, and then just one more question on aid stations, because uh, obviously different races, complete different variety of kind of what they have. What should somebody expect to see at the aid stations? What kind of items do you have? Is it pretty bare? Do you have a lot of stuff? Talk through that real quick. I mean, I think we do a pretty darn good job with aid station food. Um, we, we put out a lot, we put out a lot of food and we try to be conscious of like variation, you know, anytime after even at 20 miles at this race, we start to put out sandwiches like chicken salad, chickpea salad for vegan. We always try to have some sort of veg vegetarian or vegan option to complement whatever the meat is. So if it's like chili at night on an overnight aid station, there'll also be a vegan chili. Um, 
pancakes, you know, at 4 a.m. We, you know, and there's always, we have a base level. This is an Aerobipa standard, really. It's like a traditional standard offering. So at every aid station, we'll have some sort of fruit, usually bananas, oranges, um, your sweet, salty snacks, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, bean roll-ups. Like those are pretty much a gimme. And then sodas, water, electrolyte drink. Um, and then as it goes on, we do nighttime food that's, you know, if it's going to be overnight, we always have ramen. We always have instant coffee, hot cocoa, tea. I mean, it's kind of like a buffet in a way. So we try to make, you know, keep in mind, everybody's like, okay, wow, well, I've already had 15 quesadillas. So can <laughs> we do something else here? You know? So Patty, who runs our agent, she does an amazing job. And, you know, we kind of feel like now we have historical data to pull from to be like, well, this, we thought this rice dish was going to work well. People didn't really like it. So let's do something else, you know? Um, and we try to post all that so people can kind of also plan, like, do I need food at 73 or is there going to be something there I can kind of lean on, you know? Awesome. Sounds well stocked. I'm hungry. I know. <laughs> That's right. It's like, do I want a quesadilla or do I want a pancake? Because right now I think I could eat both. <laughs> you know, and we did we started to make these um, I think they call them pinwheels. So it's yes. like a with beans in them and cheese, and it's so good, you know. Yeah. So it's a good mix of like a little more protein too. So, so basically what you're saying is we should sign up to just volunteer at one of the aid stations and eat the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> If you volunteer, yeah. you can eat the whole time. We'll take it. <laughs> It'd be the aid station QA, right? Uh, QA team. We'll just the go testers. aid station to aid or station. The That'd be awesome. That's awesome. Well, look, man. Um, I think we're getting close to time. I think we've talked about kind of really all the a lot of the big items. Um, I am interested because this race has been going on for a while. Obviously, you got very personal connections from the beginning. What does it mean to you to have runners come out and run this race? Um, you know, we recognize that September is a very busy month for hundred milers, um, August too, you know, like pretty historic classic hundred milers. And I think I'm not hundred percent sure on the number, but I'm pretty sure September has seven hard rock qualifiers. So it's, it's difficult timing. You know, if people are trying to like, we understand the bears in September and cascade crest is in, oh, I think it moved to July now, but it was in August. And, you know, there's a bunch of really great races. So I think, you know, I have obviously like a personal connection with this race being that my brother and I started it. And I think it's, it's just cool still to this day to be able to bring people onto the Mogollon Rim. And even just the town of Pine is just this like cool little town. There's no chain, anything. It's all like little diners and, you know, cafes and there's not much to do. Right. So you just hang out with your friends when you're there. And, um, I think it's just cool to bring people to this area. Like you guys mentioned in the beginning where you, you're, you come to Arizona with this, thought of like oh, a cactus and coyotes and roadrunners and you bring them to this place and it's like wow this is unbelievable and beautiful and so diverse and and it's a, usually not a huge field so you're all kind of in it together and I, I love that about the race it's cool i like it i'm excited i'm really excited so september 7th and 8th we talked about it just uh go check out the videos we're going to post all the links uh you know in the the notes but look man i especially being out in arizona i need to like really take a closer look at this maybe i'll come out and do the marathon to start see what that feels yeah. like but <laughs> or at least go find that monster 
That's right. Yeah. So for everybody else, that's the thing. Uh, you know, you guys should put out a reward for whoever comes, you know, finds the monster, gets a picture of the Muggy on monster. Uh, but for oh, everybody yeah. listening, I would just say thank you so much for taking the time. If this is your first time finding us, if you're finding us on YouTube or something like that, go check out, you know, the Ultra Running Guys podcast. We've been doing this since 2020, uh, 2020 and have had... <laughs> just a bunch bunch of uh, (laughs) amazing guests um and we've talked about a lot of races just like this one so if you're finding the value share with your friends give us the review all that good stuff but look man thank you so much for taking the time to come talk to us about the monster yeah that was awesome thanks guys i appreciate it absolutely and we will talk soon All right, listen, thank you so much. We recognize the fact that you are probably just hanging on just for a couple more minutes as you're finishing up your run. But really, we do want to give you a huge thank you for the constant support that you've shown us. We hear you and we feel you. And the best way for us to continue to grow is for you to share us with your friends. Tell them what you put in your ears when you're out there on a long run. Hit the like button, leave us a comment, um, leave a review, and give us some direct feedback on what you like about the show and also what you don't like. We're here to improve and do it for you. And it really means the world. And listen, if you would like to support financially, you can connect with us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the ultra running guys, or you can use the support link in the show notes. Any and all support goes directly back into growing the show and helping us get better at what we love to do, which is to serve all of you. And with that, finish up that run, get cleaned up and just show up clean, clean.